Welcome to the fourth episode of Fundamentals, an equity-focused series on the Federated Hermes podcast channel. I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at the firm. On the third episode of Fundamentals, I was joined by our global equities team to discuss their unique investment style and sustainability in a post-coronavirus world. Let's remind ourselves of what Lewis Grant, Senior Portfolio Manager, had to say. This been an awakening in society, essentially. And that, that sounds like a very grand term. But so many people are now thinking about how companies are demonstrating their commitment to all of their stakeholders, not just their shareholders. And I think that those companies that get this right will see rewards for their behaviour. Since we recorded that podcast in May, lockdown measures continue to be lifted cautiously in phases across Europe, with businesses reopening And in some countries, children have returned to school. Meanwhile, for markets, it has been an exceptionally volatile time, with volatility still stubbornly at elevated levels. Relentless central bank support has steadied markets as COVID-19 infection numbers still rise. We have just passed the 100-day mark into the pandemic. China-US tensions continue to ebb and flow, but investors are still without a compass to guide them through these unprecedented and complex times. Amid the dislocation from the coronavirus, it is easy to forget that just a few short months ago, the debate about climate change and our collective response was gaining momentum. In two special episodes of Fundamentals, we'll be focusing on the topic of climate change, spanning our engagement efforts with companies to how we invest for a better climate. In this episode, I'm joined by Will Pomeroy, lead engager for SDG engagement and small cap and mid cap equities at the firm, and Ingrid Kukulian, head of impact investing. Welcome, Ingrid and Will. Thank you. Thank you. Ingrid, so let's start with you. You are now Head of Impact Investing at the firm. Could you give me just a little bit about your background? How did you end up in this role? Um, Sure. So I've always had a big interest in environment and animals. So I would say that my impactful interests have started from my personal interest. And I have seen the devastation that we have started causing to the planet itself through through my hobbies. So what I've done initially is when I used to focus on emerging markets purely, I started running a part of a portfolio, of a global portfolio applying negative exclusion. And what I've seen that is that the outperformance was significant, both versus the index and the traditional portfolios. So I have decided to focus and go into the direction of impact and sustainability. And this is how I have ended up at Hermes because Federated Hermes is the pioneer in responsible strategies with 30 years track record, not only in responsibility, but also in stewardship, which I think is the key point if you want to be an impactful investor. That's interesting. So moving from negative exclusion to impact investing. So how do you define impact investing and what approach do you take in identifying impact investments? So the way I define impact investing is that it goes beyond ESG integration because it's not a a question of just risk mitigation and not doing harm. That's already part of impact investment. I like to see it as the last link in responsible investment because it actually gives investors 
measurement tool to see how their investments are doing and what positive impact they're having on the society and the environment. So I believe in general that today's companies need to have positive impact and provide radical solutions to critical social environmental problems. Uh, we believe at Federated Hermes that the biggest companies will be those which will resolve these critical needs and investors that identify and back those winners will be rewarded with both financial and impact returns. So how do we, how do we go about identifying those companies? Well, the approach we take is a combination of thematic and impact investing that seeks to capture growth opportunities created by megatrends. By taking the thematic approach, we have identified sectors that we see as key in delivering positive impact, whilst at the same time capturing the time premium and reflecting those strong durable trends. For us, climate change is obviously one of the key mega trends, and we see renewable energy, electric vehicles, and energy efficient housing as some of the main pillars in the fight against climate change. That's interesting. And we'll certainly have a longer section on climate change a little later. But just in terms of measuring impact, how do you actually measure the impact that a, a company is having? And does that vary over time? I would imagine it does. Yes. So we have developed a proprietary framework for measuring impact. And our rule of thumb is that if you can't measure it, it's not impact. So what we look for is companies where we can measure the delivery of impact via their products and services. And we take a forward approach in doing this because we as investors look to the future. So we have our own model where we assess the impact on individual basis for each company. And are you seeking for those companies to make an improvement, for that to be a trajectory of their impact, that it is always improving over time? And do you engage with them in order to achieve that? Yes, we look for companies that are both impactful today and that are moving in towards impactful trajectory. And we do engage with them through EOS. So it is integral if you actually want to have if you want to drive a change to engage and our EOS team has been helping us in engaging on our behalf with the companies that we are looking at. Well, thank you. That's a good segue to, to Will, who is an engager. And Will, do you work within EOS or are you, are you an engager that's embedded in an investment team? And can you just tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to be an engager and maybe explain what exactly an engager does? Hi, Ethan. Yes, so I am an engager, principally engaging within our smaller mid-cap strategies at Federated Hermes, and in particular, looking at SDG-orientated engagement with those companies. Um, I work, therefore, within the investment team, and I think that brings me much closer to the, the investment decision, understanding how a company, or considering the, cap the possibilities for improvement within those companies before we make that investment decision, rather than it simply being an ex-post kind of hygiene engagements where we're trying to kind of smooth rough edges rather than having it underpinning and supporting the, the investment premise at the outset. 
I mean, in terms of my, my background, I've been at Hermes now for four and a half years. I spent most of the, the past decade in the responsible investment space in the UK, principally on the um, asset owner side of things. But actually, perhaps before I got into responsible investment, I actually spent my career initially in politics in the UK. And I guess the, the trajectory of my career probably speaks to a, a desire from moving from politics to policy to the practitioner side of things and perhaps getting my hands dirty, recognising that time cannot wait for policy change at times. And there's a lot within the gift of investors and companies to be getting on with today to bring about positive change. Um, just to your, your last question, even in terms of what we do as engagers, in essence, it's about having dialogue with those companies that we're investing in at multiple levels. So where typically a, our investment teams would be speaking to the, the FD and the CEO once or twice a year during the, the roadshows and principally focusing on, I guess, shorter term performance, our, our purpose really is to be speaking to multiple levels of management, both CEO, CFO, but also board directors and below the C-suite and talking about those issues that are more pertaining and will be underpinning and reinforcing the company's longer term success. So some of those bigger mega trends that Ingrid was talking to before, but also some of those issues that are just not typically captured by financial accounting. And in terms of the question I asked Ingrid around improvement and essentially seeking to move companies along a spectrum towards being more leaders in their in their space, how do you effect that kind of change? Absolutely. We think in terms of whether we talk about ESG, sustainability or impact, and I think that lexicon is too poorly understood and it's too confusing for, for far too many people in any case. Um, we, we absolutely think where the value comes is in that change, is in that, that improvement of both the, the operational efficiency, the, the treatment of stakeholders and, and indeed the, the innovation in terms of bringing forward products that will solve environmental and social challenges and therefore um, be revenue drivers for the company going forward. So we try and recognise what those opportunities might be. We try and have multiple conversations with companies to try and realise and accelerate some of those improvements where they're necessary. And I think perhaps where we, we really do um, bring something to the party in terms of, I think Ingrid used the term, being an impactful investor earlier on, is actually trying to share our, our insights and our understanding of what best practice might be from having engaged with companies across geographies and sectors for the best part of two or three decades on many of these issues, we like to think we've got something to contribute to those dialogues so that we're not just being constructive and supportive, but we're actually enabling and catalyzing change to happen in many cases too. And now just to think about climate change, we're sitting here in the midst of a public health crisis. I mentioned we've just passed the 100th day of the pandemic. It is midsummer. It, this public health crisis looks also to be a social crisis as millions are plunged into poverty, as well as the unfolding economic crisis that it has spawned. Where does climate change sit in this? Has that taken a backseat as an anxiety that's on investors' minds, on the minds of the public right now? Um, in the immediacy, I, I think it, it did take a, a backseat for a short while. But but I think in terms of what's on our mind as as long-term investors, absolutely not. It's very much still front and centre of many of the, the conversations we're having with companies. As you rightly said, Ethan, that the COVID crisis has clearly exacerbated economic health and, and social inequalities, and that will have ramifications for, for years to come. But climate change is clearly the looming disaster that, that hangs over everything and really does require attention and um, change both by companies, by investors, and indeed ultimately by governments in the immediacy to, to 
have any chance of us being able to make meaningful change that will ensure we have a an environment that we still want to live in and are able to live in in the decades to come. So, so absolutely, it's still very much front of mind. No, it's interesting. And I think certainly the slowdown in economic activity has had an immediate effect on some of those features of what they were causing climate change, such as emissions. Um, and we've, we've talked about the Himalayas now being visible, that we've talked about that in many of our podcasts um, and how um, perhaps air miles are now sharply reduced and that that will be a big factor in emissions, as will the lack of um, as much commuting. But it'd be great to just talk about some specific examples of how the broader issue of climate change has factored into some of your recent engagements. And I'd like to speak with both of you in turn about different specific sector-based examples that you're seeing in your portfolios. We'll kick off with Will and then move to Ingrid. Great. Very happy to, Ethan. I think just to your comments a moment ago about seeing some of the reduction in emissions in the current um, situation, I think it's both strikingly positive and, and perhaps a little bit dispiriting that essentially a halt to economic activity globally has resulted in just a 5% drop in emissions. I think that really does signal that there's very significant structural change that's necessary and it won't just be about tweaking our, our personal habits, although undoubtedly some of those changes around business travel and, and air miles, etc., will have a, a positive incremental effect over the coming years. Um, just in terms then of some of our live case studies and, and engagements that we have underway, Certainly, when we think about engagement, we, we absolutely think about where a company can make a meaningful contribution, in this case, towards climate change, whether that be through its supply chain, whether that be through its direct operations, or indeed through its, its product innovation and solution provision. Um, so a, a few examples that, that speak to that. Just briefly, there's a UN, a UN, a US rather, marine engine and boat manufacturer that we've been invested in for quite a number of years. And I think that's an interesting company because it speaks to both the op- op- opportunity on the operation side, but also some of the challenges on the product side too. So in summary, its uh, engine manufacturing business has been pioneering in terms of being a progressive and sustainable manufacturer for quite a number of years and has been winning awards indeed for, for most of the past decade. But it, it really has struggled to justify investments in renewable energy usage and indeed investing in its own generation for quite a number of years because the ROI just doesn't quite stack up until that is in the last 12 months when the group centre and the group as a whole has begun to recognise that it needs to do more. And suddenly now that they're accelerating that progress. So they are committed to having 50% of their electricity coming from renewable sources over the next decade and indeed hope to go much beyond that. But the challenge, and I think it's an interesting one to reflect on because it speaks to a number of other um, automotive industries, is on the product side. So they're producing marine engines and boats. But the consumer trend there is to have higher brake horsepower engines and more engines hanging off the back of the boats. So so this company has by far um, the most efficient engines in the industry, a good 10 or 20% above many of its peers on many metrics. But nonetheless, if consumers are hanging more of them off the back of the boats, the aggregate emissions are clearly still increasing. Um, So they're doing a lot to electrify certain components. But nonetheless, the consumer sentiment is actually still moving at odds with the the need to to reduce emissions in aggregate in a a speedier process. And just one other example, perhaps, that again continues to, I think, illustrate some of the challenges in identifying um, impactful companies or, or where the optionality is for, for realizing that positive change would be another US company we hold, which is a, a US electric utility company. I only want to um, reference this one because it's, it is a company that 
is still very poorly rated by a number of ESG rating providers. Um, it is actually on the exclusion list of a number of large institutional investors. And I think that speaks to investors' general reliance still in the sustainability space in terms of relying on public disclosures, which are historic by nature, and therefore isn't giving full recognition and credit to companies who have announced and are credibly committed to making meaningful change over the next little period. So, so in this case, the company is actually going to be increasing its renewable generation by 350% between 2018 and 2023, and indeed is committed to two thirds of what was previously a, a one gigawatt um, investment in solar energy just this year, and indeed is also supporting the, the redeployment of the impacted workforce over the next couple of years. So it's doing a huge amount of good stuff, isn't getting credit for that today, but we hope and fully expect to see them get credit for that from the broader market over the next year or two. And indeed, it should also play through to more affordable and more affordable clean energy for the, the residents within um, the markets it's operating in over the next few years too. So a very good story that at the moment isn't being fully understood and fully uh, comprehended in the market. And isn't that, sounds like a massive communications failure on the part of the company. I mean, surely they would want the story of these improvements to be front and centre of their, their public face. What is the issue that investors are still focusing on historical disclosures and that there doesn't seem to be a, enough transparency around current action? So, yes, I think you're absolutely right that they have, in the last year or two, put a lot more effort into the, the public communication. I think they're beginning, therefore, to get a, a bit more credit. But I think the ESG space is still just too reliant on, in my view at least, third-party research providers and historic data. So where forward-looking commitments have been made, the, the credit is too often not given until that actually comes through in still backward-looking historic emissions disclosures, for example. Um, but, but absolutely, in, in the mid-cap space where I spend a lot of my time speaking to companies, there is a, a real frustration amongst companies that their sustainability story is not sufficiently well understood by the market. And I think you're absolutely right, Ethan, that, that actually a lot of the um, requirements or responsibility does sit with the company in those instances to better understand what investors are looking for and indeed what society at large is expecting of them and to better tell their story in a quanti quantifiable fashion too. Because as Ingrid said right at the early part of this conversation, unless something is being measured and quantified and reported in a uh, substantive manner, I think it's perfectly reasonable for stakeholders to be sceptical and perhaps... Um, negative towards uh, promises that are being made, given the, the long history of, of greenwashing that many of us have, have seen come to pass over the last decade or two. Yes, and I would extend that transparency and measurability requirement to fund managers too. I think it's important that we demonstrate to our investors that we are making a measurable um, impact and measurable change, not just from a company standpoint, but in our in our strategies. So Ingrid, can I just segue to talk about what climate change and an impact opportunities fund that has a thematic style what does that mean uh, in the context of climate change um sure just before um i'll explain this i'll just go back to will's point which was very good about the market not recognizing or giving enough recognition to companies that are on a journey to becoming more sustainable and the main reason is that investors are struggling with understanding this journey and hence are relying on these ratings that are backward looking. So one of our holdings in a space of a decade has gone from being a 
pure hydrocarbon play to one of the most sustainable companies in the world today. So we do believe that, you know, proper engagement is the key to companies becoming more impactful and not only reaching their goals, but reaching investors with their message on this. In terms of our thematic research, as I mentioned uh, earlier on, we focus on megatrends on megatrends and climate change is obviously one of those. So we continue to see a huge opportunity in renewable energy across the globe. Our exposure ranges from renewables focused utility to a wind turbine manufacturer. So for instance, production costs have fallen precipitously to the stage now where renewable wind can compete with fossil fuels on an unsubsidized basis. We anticipate double digit growth in the industry for many years to come. We are also invested in companies exposed to the auto industry that are helping facilitate the transition to fully electric vehicles from internal combustion engines. And in addition, we have exposure to companies enabling reduced emissions for buildings. In our opinion, these are critical products given that buildings account for 40% of all global carbon emissions. So one of our holdings is a global leader in insulation. And what we like about this company is not only that they're actually having a huge positive impact on the emissions, but the company itself has started a journey already 10 years ago to making its manufacturing sustainable and impactful. So this particular company has recycled 400 million plastic bottles to date and is actually using those as a part of a range of their insulation products. They have also um, increased the direct use of renewable energy in their own production facilities with a target of reaching 60% by 2030. So a lot of positive, a lot of positive exposure to be had in this field. And we are seeing many companies not only having a positive impact on the climate on the output side, but also integrating it in their own manufacturing. So I just want to move to talk about carbon neutral production, maybe first with Ingrid and, and then moving to Will. Have you seen companies in your universe commit to carbon neutral production? And what does that actually mean? How do they achieve that? So, yes, we are seeing more and more companies in our universe committing to carbon neutral production and it's being achieved in a number of ways. So one of our holdings is installing solar panels on all of their facilities, for instance. We are seeing some of our other holdings using fully electrical delivery vehicles in their fleet uh, in as many instances as they can uh, do so. So we are seeing this trend definitely increasing across our holdings with varying with varying levels of development so far, but it's going in the positive direction where everybody has is trying to set some reasonable targets to go carbon neutral. Would you echo that, Will? Is that something you see in your universe? Absolutely. I think there's been a, a real concerted focus actually by a, a large number of companies 
just over this past 12 to 18 months to, to really think about their own direct operations first and foremost. Because I think maybe to Ingrid's point, a number of companies that, that we own have a, a good story to tell in terms of some of their product innovations. So we've got a, a Dutch engineering company that has about two thirds of their products being tied to, to green buildings and green automation. But the credibility and I think um, authenticity of that story is clearly much stronger if they're walking the talk within their own operations too. So just over this last year, there's been quite a flurry of our holdings who are making public commitments to being either carbon neutral or indeed very close to carbon neutral over the next either five to 10 years. And that either in involves a, an investment in equipment and machinery, so a CapEx investment today for rewards over the next uh, few years. Um, greater renewable energy usage is, is clearly a very core and integral component of that. And then for the latter part, that there will be some degree of, of offsetting in, in the near term. And I think there's a broader debate about the role that offsetting will play in terms of carbon neutrality over the longer term. But, but lots of, of good progress happening both in the US, in Europe, and indeed in Asia too. The, the only point if I can I just make on those companies that are making these commitments around carbon neutrality is we as investors and indeed um, stakeholders more broadly do need to be cognizant of, of what that means in practice. So a lot of the, or at least a few of our names I've seen making commitments to being carbon neutral over the next three to five years, but they tend to be those companies that actually outsource most of their emissions to um, manufacturing within their supply chain, or indeed have large fleets that are outsourced and contracted elsewhere. So we do need to be mindful of what that means in terms of the totality of the emissions associated with that business model, and therefore how significant or ambitious that commitment may actually be when you think about it in the broader picture. Thanks, Will. And just getting back to the original question I asked about whether climate change is now going to take a back seat, I think you've both made very convincing arguments as to why it shouldn't, as to why it should remain front and centre of our focus. However, let's be realistic. It could be that governments are now under intense financial strain. There have been furlough payments, unprecedented number of furlough payments, central bank stimulus, and really just other stimulus payments shoring up the economy. Budgets are going to be really impacted by this. Will there be the same amount available to spend on some of these initiatives? And will it really um, recede? And I'd like to talk about how, in broader terms, the pandemic has impacted your strategies. And there was a report from the UN that showed that every single one of the sustainable development goals was negatively impacted by the pandemic. Um, maybe start with Ingrid. What are your thoughts on what this pandemic means for your strategy and some of the companies that you would look at? So um, in terms of the pandemic itself, and uh, I have been asked this question many times, what does it mean? And we have been investing for a long time now in what we consider to be consistent pandemics affecting the society and the planet, especially the society. So we have had exposure to the likes of, uh, you know, non-communicable non chronic diseases that are carrying a huge cost both to the society and to the health budget of the governments. And what we have actually seen is that those companies have outperformed during the pandemic. And the reason for this is that they are resolving the world's critical needs. And as such, you can't really apply uh, so many cuts. Coming to the actual uh, climate change and what's happened there, 
is yes, you're right. There is a lot of strain that has been brought about to the budgets across the world, you know, being corporate and being uh, on the public side. But if we are to come close to meeting the Paris climate objectives, we need to nudge we need the nudge of regulation to accelerate the transition in our economy. So we were actually very encouraged to see the European Commission's commitment to continue with the main Green Deal initiatives, including the 2030 climate target plan. And this is despite delaying a number of other initiatives due to COVID. However, we are mindful that challenges remain vested interests who lobby aggressively for the status quo. And given that the effect of COVID, this will probably increase because for them, this drive means additional costs. So corporate lobbies and intransigence remain and a cohesive plan for climate change needs a multinational cooperation. The pol- So political division is another key risk here. So we are encouraged by the European Commission, but this has not taken place globally. Um, Innovation remains the key and technological advances will play a crucial role in helping us achieve a more sustainable environment. And hopefully it will be the technological advances that will drive this reduction And this will compensate for some of the cuts that we have been seeing in corporate and public budgets. And and Will, um, thanks, Ingrid. Will, just moving to you in terms of the the impact you're seeing on your strategy, you're seeking to engage with companies. You're seeking to hopefully um, identify those companies that can be leaders in many of these areas. Are they listening to you right now? Is there any lower efficacy of engagement right now as companies are distracted? And how is engagement working, do you think? Pleasingly, actually, I think the response is a positive one here. And that I think maybe if we look back over the last few months where we've had all this disruption, there was an understandable pause from both us and companies maybe in March, April time where there was a, a reorientation and frankly, people needed to, to understand how they got through this disruption and managed to get through that sort of BAU and day-to-day stuff, let alone think about bigger picture issues. But very quickly, management teams were very receptive to, to engaging with us then on on these longer term trends. And indeed, we, we found, if anything, in many cases, an acceleration in terms of progress. And I think maybe this goes back to the, the point that you, um, Lewis was making that you replayed earlier in the podcast, that societal expectations were growing and they certainly haven't been hindered or um, retrenched or reversed by the, this current crisis. If anything, I think societal and stakeholder expectations of companies has grown during the crisis. And therefore, those companies who want to continue to appeal to consumers and sell their goods to consumers continue need to need to continue to invest in their operations and their product suite and product offering mm-hmm. to, to appeal to these more eco-conscious and social conscious consumers. And ultimately, that means even those large consumer goods companies that are responding to those consumer trends are putting the pressure back down their supply chain to their mid-cap suppliers of, of um, materials and, and products and components. So I think the value chain itself is still moving on. And as Ingrid said, the, the regulation that we're seeing coming out of the European Commission is clearly going to accelerate that focus on um, an environmental response and a green financing response to the COVID crisis coming out the back of this the, these immediate problems over the next few years. So I think within Europe and certainly within many major um, 
value chains and business models, we are seeing an acceleration of a positive change, although fully accept your point earlier that, that um, balance sheets have stretched both at a government level and a, at a corporate level. So there will be challenges that need to be navigated. But I think those those companies that will be successful will be those ones that find a way to navigate it and therefore to continue to appeal to consumers and grow accordingly. I think that's a nice, positive and optimistic note on which to end that the podcast um, by citing Ingrid's um, importance, the importance of nudging us towards continuing to meet the climate, the Paris climate objectives and Will's point about the ongoing positive change that you're seeing in your engagement. Um, before we sound the closing bell, I'd like to thank Will Pomroy, lead engager for SDG engagement and small and mid-cap equities, and Ingrid Kukulian, head of impact investing for joining me today. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks, Ethan. Pleasure to be here. That leaves me to present to you my key takeaways from today's conversation. So what do we learn? Firstly, I think we learned that climate change has not receded as an issue. While this year's events have rightly shone a light on and brought to a greater attention and exacerbated pre-existing health and economic inequalities, the climate change remains a looming challenge to overcome. Second, we've learned that investing for impact is a growing opportunity set and companies are increasingly open to engagement and to moving along a trajectory. And finally, engagement does work, but it must be transparent and measurable. And sometimes if it doesn't work, it is time to move on. And finally, I know plenty of you are searching for podcasts to counteract the stress of the coronavirus lockdown. So here's my own podcast recommendation for this month. It's called Costing the Earth and it is produced by BBC. It's a series of short, accessible podcasts on areas as diverse as eco housing, plastic waste, flooding and the forests of the future. It even has one episode dedicated to plastic turf that has become very popular in back gardens around me. I highly recommend it. I'll be back next month with another episode of Fundamentals. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast and don't want to miss upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Federated Hermes podcast channels Amplified and Here and Now. You'll find these channels on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. Until then, I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at The Firm. Thank you for listening to Fundamentals. Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the international business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only, and the views, information or opinions expressed therein are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Performance should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All performance mentioned is historical. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results and investors may not recover the full amount invested.